The Shaky Town Radio Hour is on the air. I'm Brody Foster Hubbard. Today we are broadcasting from the home of Mari Naomi. Hello. Hello. I'm Mari. <laughs> Thanks for having us, or me. It's just me today, and you. Um, we are getting together uh, primarily to promote an event at the Last Bookstore on 4th Street in Spring Woo-hoo. that's happening um, at the time of the release of this podcast. It will be happening this upcoming Thursday, September 26th. Um, there, It's being held by LA Zine Fest in conjunction with Tomas Moniz. Um, who does the Rad Dad zine. Rad Dad. And he's from the Bay Area. Uh, Mari, you spent many years in the Bay Area, but you were born in Texas. Yes, I was. I was delivered by Ron Paul, as a matter of fact. Oh, really? Yeah, he's my mom's gynecologist. (laughs) And he's used that for so much... uh, leverage for or his struggle at credibility for uh, talking about uh taking away reproductive rights i think oh isn't that lovely <laughs> you know i mean I'm, I'm glad he's not president but there's a little part of me that wants the first person i ever saw in this planet to be president but yeah not him yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i don't think his son is much better because i think his son also doesn't want black people to be served at restaurants or oh my gosh or, or does it, if you don't want to serve black people at restaurants rand's okay with that really yeah holy crap yeah oh god yeah, well you know I, I i've been avoiding reading about him because you know i, I want to like him because I, I have this you know story about him and my mom's vagina yeah um but yeah, the, the other day I read something about him where he was talking about how women should stay at home, and it just it made me sad. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Ron, Paul, shame on you. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> now, what town in Texas was this? It was the middle of nowhere. Have you heard of it? I have. I have family from there. <laughs> oh, excellent. It was um, at the Panhandle. Um, okay. Little town near Amarillo. Okay. Yeah, my mom's side's from from Texas. Um, you can catch it in my dialect sometimes on on a good night. I say y'all. <laughs> yeah, as do I. And how do you spell it though? Y apostrophe A L L. That is correct. But I say it more frequently than I spell it. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't actually lived in Texas since I was seven, so it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. I when I um. Part of one of my jobs in reality TV was um, quality controlling, like stuff that's on the screen. And anytime people would say "y'all," I found that the TV shows were spelling it Y A apostrophe L L. And I definitely like whipped that company and and that show yeah. into shape. Said, "No, you're going to spell it Y apostrophe A L L because that's, that's how it's proper." Offensive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I well, I had a <laughs> career as a, as a proofreader for many okay. years, so. I know my y'alls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a prescriptive approach to descriptive linguistics. I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird <laughs> mixture there. Like, this isn't proper English, but we're going to spell it properly. I don't know. It really ain't. <laughs> I can't even say that. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your, your first years were in Texas, but what, what age did you move to Marin? Seven. Okay. so Seven turning eight. So did you have any... I mean, it's all formative, but did you have any specifically formative experiences in Texas uh, for what you do? We should talk about a little what you do. We're doing this reading. <laughs> You're going to be reading from, um, well, you read, but you also draw, like, awesome. Aww. I was, I was going to say, like, a motherfucker. Oh, you draw like a motherfucker. Yay, thanks. <laughs> um, draw really, really, you're a good drawer. I've never fucked a mother. <laughs> oh, wait. I don't think I have. <laughs> don't quote me oh they, shit this is mo- on the radio <laughs> she, she might not have been one then she might be one now <laughs> oh probably yeah then huh yeah <laughs> well, thank you you're welcome um so i when i first uh became familiar with you was uh at la zine fest 2012 a reading that our friend tom neely put together at the now defunct homeroom 101 oh defunct yeah Sad. yeah um you did a reading of and showed we projected there, we saw the projection of the strip about uh, bed bugs. Yes. Your bed bug infestation. And as a, also as a metaphor for this relationship. <laughs> um, so you have these dual talents. Actually, more than dual, because you're a painter. Um, you, you've done, I've seen you've worked in several mediums. I can spell y'all. You can spell y'all. <laughs> um, 
And then what, what medium was the sumo series? That was, that was watercolor. Watercolor. Okay. Okay. Um, and all these great, um, things that you can see at Mari, Naomi.com. <laughs> and, uh, so did, would you say anything really rings a bell as far as in Texas, as far as where you remember an early interest in art or storytelling? Well, I always wanted, wanted to, I wanted to be a novelist, um, in, in, well, so in my memory, I wanted to be a writer since I was three, but I don't have any proof of that. However, <laughs> I do have proof. I think it was in kindergarten. They made us write autobiographies, which come on, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I have that somewhere and it, and, or what do you want to do when you grow up? I say a writer or a doctor of caterpillars. I think I meant scientist, <laughs> entomologist. <laughs> so, yeah. I, so the, the aspirations there, probably because my dad wanted to be a writer. So, and my mom's pretty artistic. So it makes sense that they, that I'm what popped out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you move at age seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, you end up in, I mean, you've, you've lived all over the Bay Area. Uh, you lived in San Francisco for a I'm, while. I've been pretty provincial. I, yeah. Once I got to the Bay Area, I, I pretty much stuck within a pretty narrow radius. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But you you were growing up in Marin County. Yeah. Um, and, and Miserably. Yeah, yeah. Miserably. Yeah. Um, we were talking a little bit before the show about the culture there. And like we, I think everybody who comes from a hometown that's not Los Angeles or New York kind of feels like their hometown. Um, and I, it is safe to say that Marin County feels like somewhat of your hometown because even though you weren't born there, you San Francisco many years, is my hometown. You think of San Francisco as the hometown, definitely. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I would cross the bridge yeah. as often as possible and hang out there and have you know, go to parties and underage buy liquor there. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's where I had all my fun. So sure, sure. So that's really. I mean, Marin County was where I was sort of forced to grow up, but right. But San Francisco is my hometown. Okay, so you, so you didn't, you weren't uh, denied culture then, and by any means, because you had it there in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was fine. Yeah, I mean, Marin was. I mean, it, it was tough because it was a lot of rich people. Now it's really a lot of rich people, but well, not to make any enemies, but there are a lot of <laughs> hippies there, and um, and I was a little death rocker chick, and yeah. um. But they, I mean, I don't know. I, I got really disillusioned by the whole hippie culture because I mean, I, I would call them hippie crits because they were um, these, you know, the, these hippies who would be spouting peace, love, whatever, but they were also a lot of rich hippies. So they were kind of Republicans, but they were also on the outside. They looked like liberals. It was, it was I mean, I think officially they were all liberals, but they were all just really... Sorry, Dad, about the Republican comment, but you know, you know what I'm saying. They're just so conservative and uptight about a lot of things, and you know, they, they act like they're very open and free, but really they're not. I mean, and also the the young men who you know the the free love guys who are my age or older. I mean, I, they just wanted to get laid like everyone right, else, right. They, but they acted holier than thou. So I don't know. <laughs> that was my experience in the '80s in Marin County. I hear it's a lot different now. There's a lot more BMWs and stuff so <laughs> <laughs> so we, it's very pretty there though yeah yeah i love up north I, I, uh meg and i um as the audience was my long-suffering spouse meg uh yeah we go up there all the time um but more the yeah san jose it's area good to visit it's not good to be a teenager there, there are a lot of really bored cops who have i guess quotas and and like to sexually harass young girls um who can't do anything about it, it it's it's weird. I mean, it's like every other suburbia with rich people. Yeah. There'll be a show about it someday. Oh, Serial. Did you ever see Serial? It's no. a movie in the 80s. Uh, my parents and I watched it before we moved from Texas to Marin County. And it was all, I mean, it was, it was pretty right on the mark, even though it was a satire. But it's all about hot tubs and rich people. And I mean, they really made fun of I have nowhere I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> we have a movie to look up now on our Netflix. It's 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 really hard to find. It's it, I think Martin Mole was the the guy who started it. It's really funny, but yeah. it's we were watching this going, oh god, there's like all these orgy scenes. And like oh god, what are we getting into? But yeah, my parents, I don't, to my knowledge, never went to an orgy. So yeah, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> yeah, um, you're. Um, the book that really catapulted you, uh, the Harper Collins Press, 
Yeah. Around Kiss and Tell? Yeah. Yeah. And how, how long ago was that? This was that? That was March 15th, 2011. Okay. 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 Like that, you've gotten a lot of good press for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, how has that changed your approach as far as your writing and your, your drawing, like having more attention on you now than in the early part of your career? <laughs> I mean, the, the, what the book did for me, it, it, I mean, after the book came out, I started getting a lot more um, people pursuing me instead of me pursuing people, which is, is nice. I mean, that was starting to happen in my art career prior to the book slowly, but it just kind of boosted that up a bunch of notches, which is nice. And I got a lot of um, attention from schools and stuff after that, which is great. Yeah. They pay good money. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that surprising considering um, the explicit nature of Kiss and Tell, which is about uh, as the... Colleges, not preschools. <laughs> right, right, right. But still, even then, I, I remember... Um, I, I don't have any specific memories of censorship issues at the colleges I went to, but, I mean, it's, it's still an issue in academia. Is it? Maybe you had a better experience than some other artists. I don't know. I don't know. People seem pretty open. I mean, I just taught a class recently at the California College of the Arts, CCA. Um, they have a new MFA program in, uh, in comics, and I got to – it just started, and so I got to be their first guest teacher. I oh, taught there cool. for um, um, about a month, and – I got to assign them whatever I wanted. I, the, yeah. my, the first thing I assigned them uh, for reading was Chester Brown's Paying for It, which is about um, this guy's experience being John and going to prostitutes. And my students didn't like it as much as I care for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, originally I was going to uh, assign them a different Chester Brown book with the head of the department. It's like, no, go for that one. <laughs> so, okay. It, I mean, it's pretty graphic, but... I don't know. So some places, I guess art school doesn't have a lot of problems with censorship. Good. I would hope not. Yeah, yeah. I, would I don't know. <laughs> art needs to be unfettered and yes. expression needs to be not held back. Um, and I brought up Kiss Tell because it did detail so many of your experiences um, in, in the Bay Area in, as you said, the 80s and the 90s. Um, what, uh, we were talking a little earlier about readings, uh, because we're doing this reading together and we've talked about some horror stories. Uh, is there any stories from it that you're just sick of telling that you feel like uh, now that it's, it's there in its final form in the book, do you, do you still have the same sentimental attachment to it? Or oh, are, hell no. No? It's, well, it's funny because I mean, all the stories in the book are stories that I used to tell my friends or like when I'd start dating someone, I'm Oh, this what the first time I ever got a, gave a blow job. I there were dingleberries. I mean, you know, these are all stories that I would I've told a million times, which probably helped with um, with when I originally or ended up writing them out was you know I already had the stories formulated in my head. But once they're out, I just never want to look at them again. Like it's it's weird. Like all the stories that I've made comics about were all things that I used to tell again and again at you know parties to my friends or whatever. And now I just don't talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. Like the bed bug story. I mean, that was one that I repeated again and again. But yeah, I just, once it's out, it's out. I, I'm done with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is too bad because now I have not, I don't have any interesting stories to tell. <laughs> <laughs> now, and, and an interesting thing I found and that um, has been a common occurrence with our guests on Shaky Town Radio is you can write about very specific experiences or whatever your art is, whether it's stand-up comedy, whether it's comics, whether it's uh, musical lyrics, you can write about very specific experiences specific to you and, and strike feelings in you, but they can cover these general ideas and you can find so many people who tell you, Hey, I relate to this. And it's weird because like, no, that's happened to me, but yet, this struck something in you. What, what is the most unusual, um, I'll say, like audience interaction that you've had based on your readings and people who were fans of Kiss and Tell? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I can't think of all... I mean, that does happen a lot is people, they relate to, you know... I mean, I think they're relating to just being crushed out as a teenager and stuff like that. I mean, 
Um, I've had lots of people, I've, or I've, I've read people doing reviews on blogs and stuff, um, saying, I really related to this, even though I didn't lose my virginity until I was 30. I used to like that. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think people are are always looking to relate to things, so it makes our jobs easier yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Um, I don't. I don't have any fantastical stories, or if I do, my brain has been cleared of them at this moment. Have you ever had a, a review or a on the spot audience critique that you feel completely missed the point of what you were trying to do, where you presented one thing and what you heard back was Oh god, like just go to Goodreads. <laughs> it's horrible. This is uh, one person on Goodreads was like, she's a horrible person and you know she's bragging about all these horrible things she's done. I'm thinking bragging no it's confession i'm i'm sick with guilt about half those you know all, everything bad i've ever done to another human being i, I will never leave me i'm just, i'll always be sick with guilt about them and bragging is just such a weird like that that's probably the one that got me the most i mean there's other things that you'd expect a lot of slut shaming type things sure. like one person on my favorite Goodreads negative review says she slept with a lot of people and that's why i don't like her <laughs> i'm like wow i'm I really like to not ever meet this person. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the, the, the bragging thing is always what... It, it, it's happened more than once. Oh, she seems like she's bragging about all these things where at the time I'm like, why can't I just settle down? You know, when I started writing the book, I, you know, it was kind of... I was trying to look over my life and seeing why, you know, why I kept skipping from person to person. It's bragging. But, I mean, I'm not ashamed of it by any means. Maybe that's why it seems like bragging to them. Maybe if they had those experiences, they wouldn't be as happy with them. I don't know. Do you think that, and that brings to my question, do you think that artists seek transgressive experiences because they, as an artist, are looking for that? Or do transgressive experiences create artists? Because I feel like tough. Some, sometimes these people who are going to try to, as you say, like slut shaming or um, telling you that you're bragging about the experience, they don't understand the impulse to take your life and make it inform your art. Yeah. So, and maybe those people don't have any experiences worth <laughs> turning into art. <laughs> Very likely. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. Chicken, a little bit well, of chicken and egg kind of thing here. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the artist. And I mean, I, I, definitely had a lot of interesting experiences that I mean I still have a lot to write about which I'm happy about um but there have been things that I've done like the book that I'm coming out with next is about um this time that I work at worked at a bunch of hostess bars Japanese hostess bars um with the intent of learning Japanese so that I could um speak to my grandparents and, and at the time you know, it's, it's kind of like this weird um, underground, like under the table profession. It's not quite legal. It's, it's, it's like a weird thing. And at the time, I'm like, well, at the worst, you know, I'll write about it later. Yeah. You know, so I, I had that in mind. And I think I would have done it anyway. But that's kind of what pushed me into convincing myself to do it. Because I wanted to have this interesting experience. And like, oh, well, even if it turns out really bad, I can write about it later. Um, it's funny because this is this all happened in the '90s, and I'm just writing about it now. And can you explain for our audience who might not be familiar with? Uh, I think I am, but uh, <laughs> but I, I, I'd rather hear from a person who was there uh, about the concept of what a hostess bar is and how that works. Um, well, I mean, it's basically just a, a bartender, um, but they do a little more. I mean, what at the time for me, and um, it was I got paid to light people's cigarettes and keep them in conversation and encourage them to drink more. And sometimes I would be the one pouring the drinks and other times I would just be there, you know, it was eye candy or whatever. And so, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing. It's, it's pretty common in Japan um, and probably other places, but you know, here it's not so much, but it's fun. I mean, at the time I'm like, Oh really? I'm going to get paid to drink and smoke and talk with people. I love doing all those things. Yeah. So it you know, sounded great. And I didn't have the stigma that I think, a lot of Japanese people do because it's it's like a it's not prostitution, but mm -hmm. it's it's kind of oh, what do they call it the water market or something? It, it's it's I wouldn't say it's frowned upon, 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know the culture that well. But. It, it seems like these businessmen, though, they're they're coming in to pay for the company of, of young pretty ladies. Yeah, and, yeah. And to you know who are going to be nice and like you said, drink and and, and smoke with them. And they have they have uh, boys who do it too. Mm-hmm. But that's not, I think I don't know if that's in that's not a new thing. They're called hosts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, one of the requirements is that you not be unattractive, and I don't know. Question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, at some point, you were reading, um, doing readings with Sister Spit. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I know a bit, a little bit about this collective. It's a rotating group of folks. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about that collective and how you got connected with them, and then um, you went on the road for how long? It was like a month and a half. Okay. Um, it was. Yeah, we, we were playing or doing a different city pretty much every night i think we spent two days in massachusetts but for the other other than that we we're just driving every night it was it was um really intense uh so sister spit was started by michelle t um i can't tell you the years but a, while, a long time ago and uh just as a oh gosh <laughs> How am I gonna, oh, so she she was touring with a punk band at one point mm-hmm. um she, I, I, I think she said they weren't very good, but she really enjoyed the touring <laughs> experience, and she decided, oh, well, I, I want to do this with writers, so she did, and then apparently, you know, she was very young, and there are a lot of young, drunken artists who were, you know, traveling with her, and it sounds like it was kind of exciting and adventurous and a nightmare, you know, in, in that dramatic sort of way that I'm sure you're familiar with as someone who works with reality TV. <laughs> you're stuck in a van with people, um, young, dramatic, druggy people. <laughs> um, so she was doing that for a while, and now she's, uh, I guess she stopped for a while, now it's the new ge- next generation, she calls it Sister Spit Next Generation, um, which apparently is a lot milder. I mean, I, I think, uh, so it was me, and I think there were seven people in the van the whole time. We did actually fly at one point to go... Um, to the east coast and then we rented a van there and continued on so very close quarters um we basically be driving all day and then usually get to the spot we're going to read and we'll have like 45 minutes to go get food and then and then then we're on and then go or maybe we check into the hotel then we go on and then we go back to the hotel go to sleep get up in the morning and you know do it all over again it was really intense yeah um but just an amazing experience it was just oh, i hate that word amazing it was a really an experience that i learned a lot from <laughs> enriching yes it was enriching and and just i think that probably did more for my career than i mean it's, it's hard to say because the first night of tour was the day that my book came out so that all happened all at one time but as far as all the different things that i've done to promote my book i mean you know, it's gotten really good reviews in big places that I would have never thought it would have. And, and I've never seen any kind of response from that, per se. It's not like people, I mean, here and there, um, one person said they saw my a review in Elle magazine, which is also weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but the Sister's Fit thing, I, I just, I keep getting feedback from it. And it's been years yeah. and all these people, um, like, on the internet or wherever, or they come up to me at, at events and, oh, I knew you, I, I, through Sister Spit. And I'm like, oh, did you see us perform? No, but I read about you on Sister Spit or I know of you. And, you know, I mean, just, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was really great. And I mean, maybe it's because of our age or just the crew that was there, but we were all really, we all got along, I think, great. I mean, if we didn't, then it was beyond me. But I <laughs> met some really great people, and I mean, everyone was so talented. Yeah. Um, Mary and Gerba being one of the main ones, and, and um, well, everyone was so talented. But like, she's someone who I've kept in touch with a lot. And um, Kirk Reed would would sometimes write just an insanely good story minutes before we got on. I mean, this, these were geniuses. It was very humbling. <laughs> yeah. We, we were talking before the show at Miriam Gerba. I haven't uh, spoken about her on this show yet. Mm-hmm. I could speak about her for hours because I love Miriam Gerba. Oh, she's so wonderful. She's a superhero. She's just the best writer. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to drag her on to the show at some point, I think. 
Um, <laughs> Do you hear that, Miriam? <laughs> um, ready. Actually, for our Shaky Town audience, be sure to listen in a couple weeks. Um, we'll plug it here again, but yeah, Miriam Gerba and I, and John Ross Bowie, who um, is a uh, actor and uh, writer as well. Um, people would know him uh, from Big Bang Theory is like the big like mainstream like television show that he's on. But um, right like, over my head. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, he's in he was in the band Egghead, which was a, a New York uh, pop punk band. Um, but like they're all living out in LA now. And anyway, we did a reading for Razor Cake uh, Gorski Press short story podcast. So be sure to keep. Uh, I don't know, tuned in, your ears <laughs> out, it's the internet. Yeah. So, logged in for that. I don't know. Oh, so oh you, I don't like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as far as uh, the reading that, uh, that we're doing on um, Thursday, uh, so it'll be Zoe Ruiz, who uh, is the editor of The Rumpus. Managing editor Managing of The, the Rumpus. Rumpus. And you have a relationship with The Rumpus as yeah. well. Yeah, I am. Um... I had a, a regular web series or comic web comic series called Smoke in Your Eyes on the Rumpus that really I, I that that series really helped me grow as as a writer I think so I'm, I'm really proud of it and whenever people ask me what I do I try to point them there and then to my book <laughs> <laughs> and other things <laughs> and would you say that um, I mean because you always had these great you know, illustrations and art, do you think that that's where, do you feel like you developed your, your storytelling, story writing there more? Well, I've always written stories, and I was, and I was certainly, I mean, I, I've been writing stories much, much longer than I've been drawing comics. Um, it's hard to say where we, when it, anything comes from, but I feel like yeah. I really developed, I guess, what I'm doing now on The Rumpus more so than... Um, I don't know. I, you know, where does it all come from? <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you, what do you feel is uh, the main difference between what you will be like? For instance, this upcoming um, turning Japanese, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a kiss and tell. Where, where do you feel the direction you're headed is? Oh gosh. Well, you know, so this book I'm working on now, I, it, it's I, I started it while I was still promoting kiss and tell, and um, in order to. How do I say it? Trying to avoid spoilers. <laughs> so, no, no, I, I, that's, not, that's not it. I just, I mean, I feel like they're very different books. Kiss and Tell is almost like a book of short stories, um, where Turning Japanese is one long narrative, and um, definitely has a beginning, middle, and end. Um, I think I think what The Rumpus did for me was, um, because I had a deadline, every well for a little bit I was doing it every two weeks which was so hard and I had to stop because that's always do all I was doing and I you know still almost not making it but it made me a lot faster which is so good as a cartoonist and so good because it takes so freaking long to draw these things and, and I just I figured out all these shortcuts and um but also how to you know cut out the crap which is very important and um I don't know. I, I feel like my my writing and the artwork has really benefited from that. Cutting out the crap. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the other day, I posted online um, the first comic I ever did, which yeah, I, I don't I don't hate it. It's, just, it's kind of embarrassing because it's not my style anymore. And it's it's. I mean, it, I was writing about a crush I had, and it you know my subject matter hasn't really changed in the last sixteen years, apparently, um, but. There was so I, I was so focused on I wouldn't say I was a very good artist, but I was so focused on the art. I was there's so much stippling and, and cross hatching and stuff like that. Like I don't know, it was really dense. And I, I know some people actually prefer my old style than, to my new, but it took forever. I don't have a point. No, no, no. This is <laughs> I, I don't remember what the question was. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you feel like you have Kiss and Tell was a good culmination of of everything that you've been doing storytelling wise as far as drawing and then here's okay this is this is my first work and now that you've and and at the same time you said sister spit was happening at the same time so now you're as when the book was coming out i mean i've been doing comics a long time by the time kiss and tell came out so i've kind of already developed like a style of artwork and Mm -hmm. style of storytelling um like do you feel like that was the 
where you really felt you found your voice and now you're saying new things and I think that I voice had you my found. voice before but I think I just I just started going a different direction um I don't know. I mean, the, I got inspired to work for the Rumpus because of um, their Dear Sugar column. Have you ever read that? I'm not. Oh, God, it's so good. <laughs> um, it was Cheryl Strait, although when she, um, but she was um, anonymous while she was doing it. Okay. And um, it's just, I, I don't know. There was something, there, oh, you got to read it. It's I so will. good. <laughs> well, they, they collected her book into a, um, well, she has a book, Wild, that was on the Oprah Book Club thing and, and um but she also did uh they, around the same time they released a bunch of her dear sugar column things and it, i mean it's it's an advice column but it's also memoir where she just kind of leads by example and it's there's something about just the honesty and i i mean i've always thought i was a pretty honest person and so it really just struck me like wow i could be even more honest like what would it what would it be like if i just went too far every time <laughs> and i think i mean those of you who've read Kiss and Tell will maybe <laughs> think that I didn't need to go any further. <laughs> but um, but I think it's different talking about sexual activities or romances versus, um, I guess, oh, God, I think this was an album name by The The, but Soul Mining, I think is a really good way to put it, where, where I just was, you know, I, I, I don't think I was always a very emotional person. And, and once I hit my 30s and, I don't know, the estrogen came out, I don't know what happened, but now I cry at the drop of a hat. Um, but so I, I'd, I'd never really explored emotional issues, and now I feel like I am doing that more, which is exciting. And I think the rumpus kind of brought that out of me. I mean, Dear Sugar specifically brought that out of me where I did, was like, oh, God, you know, you could do that. And then I, so every time I would write one of those rumpus strips i would be like okay where can i go with this like how 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 could i push it even further and and so i don't know this, this book right now isn't really like that the book that i'm working on um but i've definitely taken things from that and and put it into the book um but but i'm not really trying to push boundaries i'm more trying to tell a story here um but i don't know it's exciting there's so many ways to go you know yeah and, and you, you haven't stopped working in, in other art forms as well. I mean, you've had some different, um, as we referred to earlier, some, uh, there's a lot of mediums you like to work in. Um, yeah, I've been, I mean, I've been just doing this book all sure, the time. Maybe. Sure. Uh, this, this is what you're obviously focused on right now. What, what other sorts of um, art pieces are you looking to do in the near future after the book's done? Well, I mean, I... Like what you like, still like to work in. Um. I mean, I really enjoy collage and painting and, and all that. Um, it's a really, really, really hard um, industry to make a living out of. I mean, I, I could do it, or I've done it. I don't know if I could do it now, but I've done it. It was just so hard. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely, I have other books already lined up that I'm going to be doing. Like, I have, I have, I have a pitch, and I have sample. <laughs> pages and stuff of other books that I want to, um, comic books that I want to do. But yeah. also one thing I'm excited about is I just wrote my first essay for this reading that we're going to be doing on Thursday. Yeah. My first essay since God, like 2001, unless you count a short story. I don't know, but I'm very <laughs> excited about this essay. And, and, and so I did it for the reading and now I'm, uh, and then I was like, you know, this is actually pretty good. And so uh, it's going to appear on the weaklings, I think in, um, November, or late October, and I, I don't know, I'm excited about that, oh. and I'm like, well, maybe I could be an essay writer, too, <laughs> on, you know, and, and get away from the visuals just a little bit, or I don't, I don't yeah. know, I mean, I, I love it all, and I don't want to stop doing any of it, I really, really wish I had more time every day, more hours, and yeah, because <laughs> every day I go to sleep, and I feel like I haven't done enough, even though I've done, that's all I've done is work all day. Yeah. I think it's a <laughs> <laughs> You can find us on the internet at shakytownradio.com. You can Twitter us at, at shakytownradio. You can like us on Facebook at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash shakytownradio. Send us an email at shakytownradio at gmail.com or call us on the Shakytown Radio hotline at 626-66-SHAKE. That's 667-4253. That's the same number. This is Simon Sotelo of the LA Zine Fest, and you're listening to Shakytown Radio. You've had some um, life changes in the last few years. You've um, 
you you were, you got married a few years ago. That's true. A couple weeks after I did, yeah. as we, we figured out and broke up the calendar. <laughs> um, and now you are with us here in Los Angeles as a, a resident. I am here. Left, left the Bay Area. I wouldn't say I left. I'm not there right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, where you lay your head down at night, though, it's is definitely uh, <laughs> L.A. Um, what has been some of the... And I adopted some kittens. Yes, we should talk about this specifically because one of them uh, was named Brody. Yes, and was adopted from the same um, rescue where uh, Henrietta and Bronco, uh, my dogs, were adopted from, (laughs) but not named after me. I I really thought that the volunteers there had named them after. Oh well, you know, and and, and, well, I, I I drew the conclusion, and I was like, oh. Perhaps this kitten was named after Brody. But then, so I asked them um, who the kitten was named after, and they said, "Oh, we have themes. I think the OC was on that week or something." And I'm like, "Okay, well, I'm changing his name to Bowie." As I said, I would have kept possibly kept his name Brody yeah. if it had been named after you. But I, I can't get behind the OC, even though I've not watched it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it in many years. I just know Phantom Planet did the theme song. Oh, so. I, I mean, is that like it? Is the OC like nine hundred two one zero or something? Because that's how I imagine it. That's how I, I remember it being too. Yeah, okay. a, li- a little more witty than I'd say nine hundred two one zero was. I don't know that I ever actually watched nine hundred two one zero, but I, it was such a big <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I could go on about nine hundred two one zero. I oh. could go on about Emily Valentine, who was a specific. She was like the punk rock character from nine hundred two one zero in they a had way. A punk rock. Kind of. She was more of a raver. Oh, that's she, not punk rock. For that show, she was punk rock. No, that's, that's not even Relatively close. speaking. <laughs> relatively speaking. She did a lot of drugs. She put uh, ecstasy in Brandon's cake. Or, or, or maybe they just thought she... No, she put it in his drink. Then she gave him a cake to apologize. And they were saying, I bet there's ecstasy in the cake. And I don't think he ate any of the cake. Wow. But ecstasy's good. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had the pleasure. Really? So, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I was kind of a late bloomer to everything. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really even smoke pot until like much later in life. And I never got into the pot. Yeah, which is you're from the Bay Area. Like, there's good pot there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What? What would you say? Uh, you know, starting this family of uh, you know, with at least you know, uh, your spouse and your 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 cats and dogs, and um, now making the big move to L.A. or at least visiting to L.A. for a while. Lay your head down. Trying out L.A. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 are your uh, we're you know it's Shaky Town Radio Shaky Town is L A L A is Shaky Town What are you getting used to or still trying to get used to here? Well, I haven't really left the house much because I'm working on this deadline. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I I managed to go to a few parties, um, go to a bunch of readings, some art shows. I mean, I don't know. Like I'm game. Like I don't have any expectations while I'm here, and you know who knows? Maybe I'll fall in love with it. And stay here. Sorry, Lisa. Um, but maybe. I, I don't know. I, I, I personally think I'll go back to San Francisco eventually, you know, if, if Gary's career heads that direction. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. When I started dating him um, in 2007, he just moved um, from Los Angeles to the Bay Area. And, and I told him, look, if this ever gets serious, I just want you to know I am never moving to Los Angeles. <laughs> So, but here I am. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm really shocked at how. I I think my idea of LA before was is was not how it actually is. I think I expected everything to be like Hollywood, and it's not, which no, is a very right. pleasant surprise. There's actually real people here. You know, not everyone's a size zero and with double D boobs. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, but. You know, I, I expected I would have to come down with an eating disorder when I moved right, here. And right. in that I'm, I'm happy that I get to still eat. <laughs> <laughs> and so many good places to choose from to Apparently, eat as well. Apparently, they're all very expensive, though. Yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> yeah. Mostly, Gary's just been cooking, so yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and you weren't a total stranger to L.A. I mean, you've done readings here and you've had adventures here. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, San Francisco is not that far, yeah. which is nice. And I've, I've gone back to San Francisco a bunch of times. Like, I was there for a month teaching that class in July. Um, to be honest, I haven't been in L.A. a lot since I've moved yeah. here. <laughs> I went on a writer's retreat right after that. You know. See, I always thought it would be interesting, like, if you were going to, tr- like, live the, the... And when I say live, like, the writer's life um, and, and, like, be on tours and, and readings and doing fun stuff, you know... 
Um, like, it would be good to, I remember, I don't know if you remember Dishwasher Pete. Yes. Yeah, and I, I feel like I remember in part of his story about how, like, he just bought it, like, a cheap house in Nebraska somewhere. So totally it was like, there was no, like, um, uh, very low cost of living, so then he could go do his adventure stuff. He lives in Amsterdam now. But, he does? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it was like, well, this will be my home base. And then I go out and about in the world and do things and stuff, and and I don't have to. So it's my point being, as far as trying to be creative but make a living to have a sustainable life in a very expensive city, Los Angeles. It's not like it's any easier though in San Francisco. It's a little more expensive than San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I mean, how have you? Uh, not trying to get you to break out your books, you know, here to do the accounting for us, but like, how how have you found that that struggle to to stay creative and at the same time like have a roof over your head and put food on the table over the years. Well, now it's pretty easy because my husband has a really good job. Um, but I existed as a freelancer for a very, very long time before he came around. And um, it was a struggle. Um, rent control was very helpful. Um, learning to do things on the cheap was very helpful. I mean, usually you don't have to pay to go um, to art shows. I, I whenever I, There was a period of time where I was making a living off my paintings alone, which was as I said, very rough, but, um, but I don't know, you get by. I, every time I was feeling like, oh, I really want to go out and get drunk tonight, I'd go to art shows and get drunk, you know, and you just, just plan around things. Um, San Francisco is quite expensive now. I, I think it's more expensive now than it was um, when I was living that lifestyle, but I, I mean, you could you, I feel like people give themselves a lot of limitations and say, oh, that's too hard, or I can't, I can't do that, I have a mortgage to pay, I have this or that to do, but I didn't have any credit cards because I'd, I'd gone through about a uh, credit counseling, so there's a long period of time where I had no credit cards, and I didn't have a steady job, um, I, you know, I, I would just do freelance things, but I feel like I, I was just so determined not to have a, like a, a steady nine to five job and, and, and not to get buried under things. So, I, I mean, I didn't have a car, which is easy to do in San Francisco. I walked everywhere. Um, I hustled. I don't know. I just, I would, every chance I got to do, essentially make money. I mean, there was a period where it was really hard where like people I knew were hiring me to clean their houses and I did that. But most, most of the time I didn't have to do stuff like that. I just, I mean, but it was, I don't know, you just have to be humble and not expect to have things. Like, I, I for years, all my clothes were from clothing, clothing swaps. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't buy any clothes. I didn't buy any music. I didn't, I didn't buy anything. And it, it, it sounds kind of weird in this, this capitalist society or whatever, but it felt really, really good. Like, I, I didn't miss it. I didn't miss having things. I mean, sometimes it's nice to have things, but I, I feel like a lot of times, especially when I was getting myself into debt before the credit counseling, I sort of used that as a bandage for not being happy. You know, like I, I suck at going into a job in the morning. Like <laughs> it's just, I, I'm just miserable. If I, if I have to wake up from an alarm, I am grumpy all day. And there's, I mean, it's not worth living like that for me. It's like, well, I'm, just going to take, like, I would take proofreading jobs, which, you know, it was, it was good money. It was really boring, like, when you're looking at legal lease all day or for several hours a day. But I would never, I would never go full time. I would always just do it several hours a day. But I could make the decision and say, look, I'm not coming in before noon or, or I, I'm going to work at home, you know, and, and so for a while that's how I got by. But it was, I don't know, you could give yourself the freedom. And I don't think a lot of people realize that because there, there's so many, ways where people think this is how it should be or I should get married and I should do this I should have children but like I at the time I didn't think I was ever going to get married in fact I didn't I I was quite happy being single and I was you know living the life I don't know (laughs) like I, I, I didn't really adhere to those situations so I didn't feel like I needed new handbags and new clothes and fancy shoes or whatever like those things ultimately just don't really matter and it and at the end of the day, when you're living this just really sparse lifestyle and getting by and, and yet still manage to buy organic produce, I mean, 
feels really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, whenever people start freaking out about money to me, I, I, I feel like I have a lot of knowledge in that. I've you know, definitely lived hand to mouth um, for a long period of time. And, and I don't know, those are my happiest years in some ways. Like I just didn't feel like I had to rely on some system to get me by. I was doing it myself. Feels really good. You should do it. Yeah. Quit your job. It's <laughs> a weird thing about being like, because uh, I'm in my position now, um, a lot more financially secure than I was. But there is a certain freedom in the struggle that once you're more comfortable, yeah, there's a lot more responsibilities to maintain that um, that that comfort level, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's interesting how I feel like. Some artists, um, their work suffers for it. It's, it's kind of the weird thing where it's like, it seems like our society wants the the guitar, the, the, the rock and roll guitarist to, oh, he was so much better when he was strung out on heroin, and now, like, he sucks. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's a certain <laughs> desperation that, that makes good art, too. The first the first novel I wrote, that you'll never read anyone, um, but I was, I was 18, and I was in, in this horrible job. I was working a lot. I didn't have time to write a novel, but I did. And, and I wrote it pretty quickly, like in a year or something. Um, but, I mean, a lot of that was just desperation. Like, my job was so uncreative. I worked at a bank. Like, I was just not... I, I had all this creative energy just being, like, stepped on all the time. So I could have, you know, watched TV, or I could have written a novel. And so I, I did that instead. So... <laughs> I don't know. I, I think people don't give themselves enough credit, and, and I think it's easier not to try because then you're not worried about failing. But, oh God, I sound so bossy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's what worked for me. It's yeah. just, you know, not, ha- not watching TV is a huge, huge <laughs> motivator for making good art, I think. I mean, the, the, there's so many, I, and this is coming from someone who I just started watching television recently. For the, I, like the last time I had cable, and I don't have cable, but the last time I had cable and or watched TV was in 2001, I think. Wow. So yeah, it's been a while. Um, that That's really helped with my productivity. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I think TV also gives, like, it, it, it makes you kind of feed into that whole I need to buy stuff culture. Um, because you see all the things that people have on TV and you're like, oh, I should have that or I want that's really nice I don't know I've never felt I I, I know I have in the past I've wanted nice things and you know as I said nice things are nice but oh my gosh oh no why are you barking (laughs) seriously were you having a bad dream sorry it's okay (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I I feel like just like when I stopped reading fashion magazines I stopped feeling so insecure about my body I you know I've owned here. My dog is currently um, <laughs> trying to <laughs> so stick the, her this dog. tongue into his mouth yeah. right now. Anybody, anybody who knows uh, me and knows Bronco, Bronco's very infamous for you yeah, at the tongue and the face <laughs> action. And I think Ono oh gives Bronco a run for his money. Take her to a party. Everyone's going to have mono. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, I mean, you're with your, you know, having been on tour and doing these readings and, uh, <laughs> I might like have, a I face hugger. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm getting hugged around the neck right now. I'm not, I, my own pets don't give me this much love. Um, She's okay, a baby. lover. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Okay. Um, you're, you're, you know, in that role as far as being on tour and doing readings and then, like you mentioned, you know, we talked about being in the, the world of academia. Um, so you are in a position to, uh, whether whether you feel bossy or not, you are, I'm sure, getting getting asked for a lot of advice from young artists, young writers. Um, and so those who want to come to L.A. and, and you know, try to, you know, hustle here and, and make a name for themselves, what, what's the advice that you, you would give them or what is the advice that you find um, is most applicable to the concerns of the people, these young people asking for your advice? Like, what are their well, Every situation is different. I mean, I've definitely over the years had a lot of people who are starting out um, ask me, well, you know, how do I get to where you are? I'm like, well, okay, 
the, I started in 1997 and in 2009 I got my first book out. So, you know, and I was working my ass off that whole time. So go. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people get discouraged when you tell them how much work is involved and to get even a modicum of, of recognition. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and, he, and even then recognition does not equal money. It does not equal opportunity. It's just, you know, over time, presumably that'll happen. But I, young people starting out, just the big break, I think is, is what screws everyone over. Cause they get this idea that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing for a while. I'm going to get good. Maybe I'm going to network. And then something, one big thing is going to happen. It's going to change all around. I'm going to buy some fancy shoes, you know, after this happens. But, like, it's not really how it works. I, I mean, I guess it has worked that way for a couple of people. And, you know, that screws everyone else over. <laughs> but really, I mean, it's just so much hard work. I, I don't know if I knew how hard it would have been, how hard it is to do certain things before I started. I probably wouldn't have done them. But I'm really glad I did. So... I don't know. I mean, keep at it. It's so trite. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's what it is. It's putting in the work. Just get better. You know, I mean, if, if you're part of, you know, if you want to be a writer, like nowadays, it, it's different than 10, 20 years ago. Like now, people who want, want to be writers, I'm like, okay, well, get a Twitter account, go start a blog. Oh, but I don't want to do that. Well, that's what publishers are looking for. So if you want to get your name out there, you're going to have to do these things. Like, so that's for writers, for for an artist, you know, to work on your craft. I mean, and and try to get into as many shows as possible. Get your stuff out there. Um, go to figure drawing class. Like that's a huge one, and very few people do that. I haven't found one a class here yet, but I, I definitely want to start doing that. It's so hard, and it's so discouraging because it's so hard. But you can see the results. If you go every week, you know, over a series of months, you're just going to be like, holy shit, I'm so much better now. And, and of course, you lose it all as soon as you stop going. But I don't know. I mean, it (laughs) depends on, you know, everyone has a different path. So, God, I sound bossy again. (laughs) I don't know. I'm supposed to start mentoring someone um, on Wednesday. I'm a little nervous because I don't yeah. know what kind of questions she's going to ask me. And, but, you know, I, 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 I'm sure I'll, like, I have a lot of experience struggling, so I could certainly help her with that. Yeah. But uh, everyone has a different set of questions. I, I have this, these other careers that I've done, and, and people also ask me for, um, for advice on how to get into those industries and, and, I don't know. The answer is always you, you got to work really hard at it in, in varying forms. And no one wants to hear that. They just want to like meet the right person and get shooed in. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. We all have to work for it. You, yeah. You're no different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, uh, because this has been such a big part of Shaky Town Radio, is Henry and Glenn forever. <laughs> um, because Tom Neely was our first guest ever. Um, he uh, His second visit changed my life because it plugged me back into zines um quick plug for fair dig number two is out now um that talks about that i mean i talked a little bit about shaky town and some uh, behind the scenes drama you didn't know that was going on on shaky town radio um uh so read that fairdig.com uh you can order it uh and of course henry and glenn forever and ever issue number three we're at now uh the the continuing adventures of uh are they Platonic housemates, are they uh, lovers? <laughs> we don't know, but their names are Glenn and Henry, and they look a lot like the singers of uh, some of our favorite punk bands over the years. What is your contribution to Henry and Glenn? They're very, very close. <laughs> well, to be honest, the story that I wrote is about when um, Henry and Glenn go to the pharmacy to get flu shots. And, um, and, and Glenn witnesses uh, this woman giving very good customer service. And it's, you know, it's a quiet little story. And I thought it was kind of funny. It was, it's something that happened to me and Gary only um, in this. I, I changed the characters out. So now Glenn is me and Gary is Henry. <laughs> well, <laughs> Justin Hall and Tom Neely also have um, great stories in this. I'm, I, am, I was so freaking thrilled to be asked to do this anthology when i when i read the first one i just i couldn't stop talking about it i bought it for all my friends i'm like this is the <laughs> best thing ever so yeah i'm super thrilled to be in this issue 
Yeah, I mean, I know you, you, you described yourself as a death rocker uh, as a kid. Uh, I mean, how uh, do, you, do you worship at the, the, the temple of, of Rollins like some of us do or, or, or Danzig for that matter? I enjoy, I, you know, to me, I feel like this, even though there's been, some people think that, oh, you're making fun of Henry Rollins. And, but I, like, I think they're both fantastic. To me, it's almost like fan art. I mean, it is fan. Like, I don't think anyone, and don't, I, I can't say this for certain, but I feel like anyone who would spend this much time drawing them and, and like, picturing their lives with uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates also <laughs> in the background, like, right. they have to be really good, like, big fans. Like, in my, like, at least I know I am. And, and so I, like, my story is just, I love them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I might not agree with everything that they preach or do or sing or whatever but I just I think they're great and you know Henry Glenn don't hate me I do it out of love <laughs> did you ever have any love for um because I, I saw that he makes a cameo in uh in one of these is, is Morrissey is showed up in a Henry and Glenn story I don't remember the Morrissey I love Morrissey yeah yeah. He's he's got a book coming out. Morrissey's a writer, an autobiography. Oh, I, I think Penguin or somebody's putting it out, and yeah. they're having problems getting it out in the states. It's, it might be a UK only release. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Well, the internet. Yeah. We'll get it somehow. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Wow, do you think he could write more than lyrics? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he. I mean, he wrote a whole book about the New York Dolls. He. Um, I had no idea. Yeah, and he often writes these big things that uh, True to You, which is. Uh, like it's a fan site, but it's kind of like Morrissey's put his blessing on it, and, and he, no he always idea. writes like, uh, yeah, he wrote this very moving uh, eulogy when uh, one of his longtime fans passed, like somebody who was at the sh- well, uh, was like at shows and stuff, like mm-hmm. followed him around, you know, because there are those people who are like deadheads but they're moss heads, groupies, yeah, yeah, oh, I didn't know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 and then he wrote this just very powerful thing. I, ha- I hear he has a really. Uh, a huge uh, Latina following. Yes, yes. I was actually, we were talking about this um, the other night, uh, like Miriam and and Todd Taylor and I, because he's often seen on the east side uh, of Los Angeles, Morrissey is. Really? Yeah, he's he's coming, like, moving farther and farther east. Like the east as in, like, where we are right now? Yeah, even further east. We can (laughs) possibly be within a mile radius of Morrissey right this second? Very, very easily, yeah. Yeah. Morrissey, come over. <laughs> Sing to me. <laughs> that would be wonderful. I have not had enough celebrity sightings since I don't leave the house much. I, I would really like yeah. that to happen yeah. with someone that I, I... I don't know anyone who's not from the 80s. <laughs> yeah. That's the weird thing about... Um, I mean, I remember my first couple trips to Hollywood. Well, uh, my wife and I were long distance for a year. You know, she she was living here. She just moved here from San Francisco. Um, and I was wrapping up business uh, in, in Phoenix. There's, like, Phoenix has all this business. But I was getting, you know, finishing up school, getting my degree, and we were getting ready to move out here. But I would come, you know, fly out, drive out and visit, and we'd run into celebrities like, uh, like you know, saw Nick Lachey, who's uh, was a member of 98 Degrees, <laughs> or, you know, uh, I ran into Fred Stoller at the Grove, but it turns out I guess everybody has run to, into Fred Stoller at the I Grove. I don't know who that is. He's a comedian and, and a character actor. This is why I have no yeah. celebrity sightings. I don't know who anybody that is. That it is. They're passing you by every day. You just don't know. I think so. Well, at LA Zine Fest, the first time I was sitting with Gabby Gambo, who was like, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, that's so-and-so. I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are. So I've got to change my tune. I have to figure out who these people are so I know to gawk yeah. at them. The worst is when you were, yeah, you were at a, somewhere. Um, and since that, uh, our previous guest, Katie Goodman, her band La Sarah, uh, opened up for the Julie Ruin the other night, Echoplex, Kathleen Hanna's uh, new band. Oh, cool. And it was a great show. And then I found out from, um, I, I found out by Katie Goodman later that, that Flea was there from Red Hot Chili Peppers, which, I mean, makes sense. He's, you know, he lives in Silver Lake, I'm pretty sure. He, oh, yeah? I know he's affiliated somehow with the, the music school. I Silver haven't Lake. actually seen what he looked like since the 80s. I, okay. I don't think I would recognize I, him. I think he looks the same, but older, you know, really? but it's still Flea. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not like he's naked with a sock on his penis. Well, anymore, I, there, there's no way I'm going to see him. I know who he is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're everywhere and you pass them by. And it's kind of like, you know, G- Gene George, who's the co-creator of the show, uh, 
and he, you know, we've talked on the show before about the code. And the code is, you know, you, you don't go up and you don't throw your arms around them. You know, you just, the nod and like, I know who you are. I admire your work. Maybe if you love them, you Are you, you supposed say, to I, nod at them? I admire your work. Well, no, it's, it's, you're allowed to go that far. Only that far. It's, then otherwise you're like a tourist. If you're like, oh, uh, you know. I kind of, I feel like I still am a tourist, so maybe it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm never going to see these people again, right? <laughs> Who cares if they have no respect for me? They have no respect for me anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did see Angelica Houston. I was very excited about oh, that. Oh, that's great. I didn't talk to, I couldn't have talked to her. I was so nervous. Yeah. I was, it was very exciting. Were you a big fan of Roll Dolls the Witches? <laughs> No, I don't know what that is. <laughs> she was like the head witch in that. Oh. I guess she's done some other more well-renowned work, but, <laughs> but I just always think of her as the lady from the witches. Oh, I just think she's beautiful. <laughs> no, she's great. Um, San Francisco has a share of celebrities, and one put a blurb on your book, Armistad Mopin. Oh, yeah, he's not in San Francisco anymore. Oh, yeah, he's not. He just he moved to um, New Mexico. Oh, okay. But I did run into him in Los Angeles. Oh, did you? I did. Okay, how did that go? <laughs> that was, well... He was, he, it was for, um, someone who was, oh, it was, uh, oh, what's her name? She plays Mrs. Madrigal. Olympia Dukakis got her own Hollywood star. Yeah. And which, so I was like, oh, I should go see that. I think <laughs> I saw it online and I was here and I thought I should do something very Los Angeles. So I, I uh, walk went to see that. Very, yeah. Seems very LA. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't what I expected exactly, but it was fine. It was fun. Yeah. And then he was in the, the special section and, and I said, <laughs> Ernest did, and he hugged me, and it was good. Oh, good. I love him. He's great. I um, I for, for me, like the best. Um, he's like the nicest person ever. Yeah, he's so That's cool. He's so nice. That's I love it when know. you meet your heroes and they're nice. Yeah, that never happens. <laughs> it's something that happens sometimes. Yeah. Sorry, what were you gonna say? No, just that. Um, you know, like I, I have a friend who who you know loves audiobooks and you know when my wife and i travel we also listen you know we always definitely the road you know, going up to grapevine and back audiobooks. and the best audiobook i ever heard was the night listener because it was uh so appropriate for the medium because mm-hmm. it's all about a radio guy it's all about these phone calls um i read that i should give the, the audiobook i've been listening yeah. to his um he just had armistead walkman had all his tales of the city um books redone for audiobook i think he'd read them abridged before but mm-hmm. now they're unabridged and they have people like um oh gosh uh cynthia nixon did one and i i think francis mcdormand did another one and i've been listening to the re-listening to all the books and they're so freaking good even though i've read them a million times i should i should listen to that one too yeah but they just got released so it's, it's exciting yeah <laughs> yeah and i was i was telling you earlier like yeah, today just getting work done i i um Pulled up all your videos on YouTube and, and I'm just so sorry. No, it was great. I threw on the headphones, got my dishes done, and got to listen to your stories. And and you were definitely a wonderful storyteller. Oh, thanks. And as brilliant a, a storyteller as you are at illustrating those 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 stories, um, folks can find your work uh, at your website marinaomi.com. Yes. Uh, but you're also on social media. We can find you on Twitter. I'm everywhere. <laughs> Tumblr, Twitter. I just got a Pinterest. Pinterest account? I don't know what the fuck to do with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I say fuck? Yeah, you can okay. say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Pinterest. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that's for. I think, I think that's more like consumerist culture because mm-hmm. everyone pins things they want to buy, which that feels kind of creepy to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where's the best place for them to order uh, Kiss and Tell? Um, at their local bookstore or library. Support requested. your local bookstores. Yes, and your absolutely. Libraries. Um, and you can find um, IndieBound is a good online ref- uh, place where you, I think they that's where you can look up your local bookstores that would have the book okay. or order them okay your, your stories in Henry and Glenn Forever and Ever number three yes um, you can always go to IWillDestroyYou.com that's our friend Tom's site um, and, and get order information for that and then um, I'm very excited about my story in this yeah <laughs> I'm excited to read it as well and then Turning Japanese will be coming out when do you think um, well, they're going to serialize it first, um, online. Okay. Um, I, I, it's going to be done before January 31st, 2014. That's my deadline to finish drawing it all. Um, and I think we're going to start serializing it shortly after that. And I believe it's coming out in print either the end of 2014 or the beginning of 2015. We haven't ironed out those details yet. Okay. But 
I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Slash nervous. I'm, I'm slash getting to excited. see it in its its form right there's, now as it's being created. There's raccoons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's somebody saying hee hee. There's, there's like everything in this but there's raccoons there's racism I mean it's good <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the tagline like that's the, the <laughs> raccoons and racism I like that and, and misogyny oh yeah yeah all the favorites <laughs> um and again, uh, Mari and I will be at the last bookstore. Um, if you're listening, to, uh, you can enjoy all this, uh, her work and, and mine and our podcasts, um, obviously beyond the publishing date, but if you're hearing it the, the week of, uh, September 20, I'm doing, i doing math now, just, yeah. September 26th. So yes, come see, <laughs> come see us at the last bookstore, downtown LA, fourth and spring. I'm very excited about the story that I'll be reading at this show yeah. also. You'll be there. I'll be there. Tomas will be there. I'm talking about my most humiliating moment. Oh, that's great. It appears briefly. <laughs> <laughs> it involves television. Oh, good. Reality One television of, things, of, so. of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> and who else we have there? We have Zoe Ruiz will be reading. Jessica Garrison. Um, uh, friend Bianca. Of, yeah, our friend and, and, and uh, frequent Shaky Town guest and guest co-host Bianca Berrigan will be reading a story. Um, and a couple other folks. Like eight people. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be a good time. We're going to, uh, from what I understand, hammer out the stories, read them, and then we're all just going to hang out, and it'll be nice. Woo-hoo! So, and then we can all go look at the labyrinth of $1 uh, books that's upstairs. I love that. Oh, that place is so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know about the $1 books. Yeah. It's very dangerous. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It is. I don't have much more space. <laughs> <laughs> we'll brave the labyrinth together. So um, I appreciate you opening up uh, the, your home to me and oh, to Shaky Town today. Yay. Thanks for uh, talking with us. and Thanks for meeting my dogs and kittens and letting my dog molest your face. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's okay. So until Oh No hugs your neck and gives you tongue action, I'm Brody Foster Hubbard. <laughs> I'm Mari Naomi. Ha, ha, ha.